This is Daniel Fagella, Head of Research at Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research. You're listening to the AI in Business podcast. Our guest this week is David Carmona, the GM of Artificial Intelligence at Microsoft, not exactly the smallest player in the enterprise AI space. And our focus this week is something that David was particularly excited to explore. He was first on the program some two years ago. Enterprise AI adoption has expanded rapidly since then. And we address the topic today of applying AI at enterprise scale. Here's questions that leaders are asking now. What are the particular problems we're going to run up against when we're applying AI, not just in one or two pilot projects, but across our organization? What kind of readiness do we need technologically and in terms of leadership, teams, infrastructure, in order to make AI work across an enterprise, in order to make this a building capability, not a collection of technical debt in a bunch of dark corners across the business. David talks about a way of thinking about maturity, not only in terms of addressing those landmines, but proactively building enterprise AI scale. So if those are challenges that you're facing, or if you work with companies, maybe as a consultant or an advisor, who may be facing those kinds of challenges, there's hardly a better source than David Carmona himself. It is always a pleasure to speak with David, and this time is absolutely no exception. So without further ado, let's fly right into the episode. This is David Carmona, GM of AI at Microsoft, here on the AI and Business Podcast. So David, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure for me to be here. All right. Well, we're touching on a topic that actually we have not had any episodes about. So it's always fun when I get to tell somebody we've had 900 episodes and you're the first person to touch on this. And the theme is AI at scale. I know we're going to talk a little bit about applying and thinking about this new paradigm. But w when you think about explaining AI at scale to business people, how do you get started? Yeah, I start with the technology. And then I move to the business, right? So on the technology side, a very easy explanation of AI at scale is just looking at the progression that we're seeing on models, right, on AI models. So we're seeing this explosion of these massive AI models that are trained on these AI supercomputers using vast amounts of, of data that are really transforming the way that we create these models. And I know that this is very technical uh, for the business side, but it's the foundation for something very unique that we're seeing with these models. So of course, these models, these billions and even trillion parameter models are much more powerful than traditional model, but there's something especially interesting about these models. And it's the fact that they are more generalized. So traditionally, when we create an AI model, what do we do? We need to target a specific task, right? So image classification to, to say sure. a particular domain like healthcare or manufacturing, whatever, and a particular modality like audio image, video, whatever, right? With these models, what we're seeing is that you can train them once, but then they can be even multitask, multi-domain, and multi-modality, meaning that you can then customize this model for your particular domain or your particular task. And that is a paradigm shift in AI. Why? Why? Because you don't need to create a model from scratch. So this whole concept of having every team in your organization to create a new model with a data set for a particular task and a particular domain, in the future, we may be able to change that paradigm and have those teams leveraging a massive model and then customizing it for their 
particular task. And I know that we've been used to that in the past in certain scenarios with things like transfer learning, yep. but this goes even beyond that because you have even this, this concept of few shot learners that just by providing a few examples or even a description of the task, you can apply one of these massive models to your particular domain. Got it, got it. If you don't mind, I'd love to pick this apart just to make sure the listeners and myself have a clear mental image, and then we'll talk about kind of taking action on this. So I think the example, probably most of the folks that are just, you know, aware of AI or listen to this program might be might be thinking of, could be like a GPT-3 or something where, you know, yeah. we have a, a single gigantic, you know, however many billions and billions of features here, you know, that, that we're training on. And now we can write a philosophical essay, we can write a funny tweet, we can you know, generate a description of some longer medical text into a medical text that's like one-tenth of the size, like a summary or something. There's all this kind of capability with sort of a single gigantically trained core model. But from what you're articulating, this is not really relegated to the world of of text. This is maybe for for almost anything. We're thinking about vision, maybe. We're thinking about recommendations. We're thinking about how should we consider this? Because I think GPT-3 clicks, but but yeah. I don't think there's great examples of the other ones. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's great. I think a good way of looking at this is separating it in two. So one incredibly important concept here is the way that you customize, that you apply one of these models. And let me let me use the sample of GPT-3. So everybody knows about the amazing, you know, even science fiction scenarios of, of a model like GPT-3 on creating text. But what we don't usually get to know in, in those headlines that we see in, in press, for example, is a fascinating aspect of GPT-3. And it's the fact that you can customize that model for a particular task just by providing a few examples for that. And let me use an example there. With GPT-3, you can directly in there ask the model, hey, I want to translate from French to English. And then you provide a couple of examples of translation for French to English, and the model will be able to perform that task. So no fine-tuning, no update, no new development is needed, right? So that is a fascinating aspect of these models that it, it can certainly change the way that you use this, this AI model. Then this, the second part, which is super important, is that we are learning that just like these models are working on text, we are seeing how these models, this particular approach to these models called transformer can also work with other modalities. So we see that with, with images. So we're seeing models that are able to do the same thing as GPT-3 does for text, but for images to do things with a computer vision. But we're seeing even multiple modalities at the same time where you can take like, for example, images and text and then merge those two in one common semantic space. Like, for example, to create image captioning. Or yeah. another fascinating example is uh, what you have seen probably with GitHub Copilot or based on the model codex, yeah. where it's basically taking text and, and source code. And it's mixing those two modalities yeah, yeah. by making sense out of them, right? So now you can create as an input, uh, uh, like natural language, and the output is code, like source code that mimics that uh, natural language instructions that you provide. Man, how many episodes do we have to record before we can mix modalities and just replicate David Carmona and have him on the show whenever we want? Um, <laughs> fully never, so I can be <laughs> the first one. Yeah, the combination of the two is a big deal. And, and 
I would say for most businesses, you know, who today are just starting to figure out their data infrastructure and beginning to get early pilot, pilot projects ready, you know, they won't be hurling themselves into AI at scale tomorrow. But it is always important to bear in mind where are things headed? What are we preparing ourselves for? And so no matter where companies are on the spectrum, I always like to talk about the near term and the long term. And you're bringing up a great kind of, you know, conceptual frame as to where you guys think things are going. And I can see the plausible case here. What, how does this potentially change? So one thing is clear, which is, hey, in the future, we might not have 17 point solutions for all these different document search, you know, applications. We might have one that we can hit with multi-shot or we can hit with 10,000 examples or whatever. And it gets search well enough where it's like this general capability, kind of the dream of AI in all honesty, but we might be able to get to that level. Does this mean we need to think about our procurement in a different way? Does this need mean we might want to think about our AI strategy differently? I like the paradigm. I'm wondering, you know, how we should consider it as a business leader. What advice do you generally give? Yeah, no, that, that's a great point. Because the, the, the key question here, of course, and I completely understand that question for any business business leader is, so what? <laughs> that yeah. looks like very long term. <laughs> so how is that impacting my business today? And how sure, should I sure. get ready for that impact in the future, right? Uh, so I, I usually, what I what I do here usually is, is telling our story in Microsoft. So it's, it's, it's very clear uh, as an example of how that mm. looks like mm -hmm. and how you can get prepared for that change that is about to happen in the industry, right? So uh, in the in the past, so you look at, at ads in, in Microsoft. So we we had a very, uh, and we, we discussed that in, in, a, in a previous episode, we, but we have a very decentralized AI adoption in the company. So we have everything in Microsoft is on point to infuse AI into their product. So think of the M3, the Microsoft 365 team, they're on point to infuse AI into things like Outlook or PowerPoint, et cetera, and like that, everything. So the, the new motion that we're seeing is how now we can have a central function in the company, uh, which is creating these massive models, and that can be reused by each of the organizations in Microsoft. So we have discussed a lot in the past how you still need to have like a central function in your company providing services. And those services are usually like very, like I don't wanna say infrastructure, but very like, for example, providing the core of MLOps, providing the, the basic infrastructure of uh, data and AI and execution and operations and, and all those important aspects. But with this new paradigm, you can have this team also providing models that they can easily customize. So at the end, what that creates is a new level of scale of AI in your organization. That's why it's called AI at a scale as well. So it is all about making sure that AI is scaled throughout your entire organization and every team is able to get access to AI and implement it. So why do we need to consider that today? because that's something that you need to start addressing today. So you need to think that AI is not gonna be centralized in a, in a team in your company. You need to start thinking of AI just like we thought about software in the past. It is something that every business unit will need to embrace and it will become easier and easier. So this is only getting started, right? So there's a whole, cultural transformation that you need to start addressing in your company because everybody should be part of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, lifting AI fluency broadly across the enterprise and thinking about, you know, what is the value of our data? How are we going to reuse it? How would we re rethink our business model? The various horizons that you spoke about in a previous episode. 
so much to get ready for this. And now we're talking about this this next big leap of paradigm. I'm going to try to nutshell it and, and see if we can continue to pick this apart because this is really great to, to come up with the the so what, as you mentioned, right? So I think about software today to carry that analogy forward. And certainly, you know, we take any big legacy enterprise, whether it's a bank or a manufacturing company or whatever, maybe at a certain point, there was no software at all for them. You know, they founded it 100 years ago. Then at some point, Maybe they had a few vendors, and now in many, many parts of the bank, there are, or, or the manufacturing firm or whatever, there are folks that are kind of building, maintaining, you know, different kinds of software tools to enable what the business does. Some businesses more than others, though, are leaning on vendors for many core functions versus building core functions. Very few people build their own CRM, for example. Very few people, you know, in the manufacturing space are going to come up with their own custom way of coding their machines to pipe out data. You know, there's some like default ways of doing that and tool sets that are already pretty good. Very few people are rebuilding them. I would estimate that at least in the early days and, and maybe even longer term, it would be rare to have very many companies who could train, you know, an open AI equivalent inside their own business, whether have the money, the technical talent, et cetera, to have this sort of super trained hyper corpus that would then power the rest of the business. I would see a lot of them pulling from external sources as they do now with, you know, the various and sundry tools. You guys are part of that ecosystem, right? The cloud AI tools. How common do you think it'll be for firms to have their own, like a, you know, we think about a bank, right? A completely non-digitally native company, like an HSBC, a Citibank, whatever. How common will it be for them to have their own trained inner corpus versus simply pull from some shared resource that another giant company has trained? Yeah, I love that that conversation or that way of looking at it because it 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 can actually be very simple now to see what is the impact of AI scale. So let's let's look at it this way. So right now in the market, you have two options to approach AI, right? So the same way that you that you position there, you have the concept of SaaS, so software as a service. So you uh, use like pre-packaged solutions that include somehow AI, like hey, a solution for my customer support that is using AI. That's great. And that's perfect. And we do have that in Microsoft and there are other companies providing that kind of service. If you don't want to go there, because you want some core differentiation, you have a unique asset that you really want to create software aligned with that, that is exploiting your unique capability, then you go to this other model of custom build, right? Right now, the only approach that you have to do that on AI is the start from scratch, right? So you have to create these models. You need a huge data state to support yeah. that. You need the expertise. You need the, uh, the compute the assets to train those models, which is, I mean, it's an important investment that many companies are doing today. And of course, we will continue to see that in the future. But with this new concept of AI at a scale, you actually have something in the middle. Because this thing in the middle is now, what if I use one of these models that are trained in a supercomputer, but I don't need to train them. Somebody's training for me. So in our case, in Microsoft, we do uh, support GPT-3 in, in Azure. So you can use GPT-3 without training it. You We already spent yep, yep, those yep. resources in training that model, and you have the end result in Azure. It's, it's quite interesting, right? Because now you are in the middle. So you are in, in a very interesting sweet spot in there where you have a lot of customization possible because you can customize, as we were discussing before, you can customize that model for your domain, your task, your modality, whatever you want to target. But at the same time, you don't need to start from scratch because you are reusing these models that have been trained on massive amounts of data. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So the build versus buy decision kind of has maybe one more caveat, one more middle layer as you'd articulate it. And it, it almost sounds like with AI at scale, the kind of rule of thumb that maybe we would talk about for for AI as it is today would be similar. You you articulated it. If we have something super proprietary that's going to be very specific to our business in terms of the data and the use case, et cetera, maybe we would want to invest in that giant AI at scale engine. Maybe, you know, so Citibank, I imagine, I imagine maybe many financial institutions, the things that they do around trading, potentially, they would, they would want to potentially build themselves. But if there's something around document search or, you know, itemizing invoices or some accounting function, it's possible that that's not necessarily differentiating for them. It's not necessarily something they want to dedicate their best and brightest research minds to. It's a a relatively nominal efficiency lift compared to, you know, making 20% more in their trades or whatever. And, And so maybe they would leverage some kind of other service as opposed to build a core service. So maybe in the future, same kind of build versus buy rules, but instead of just build versus buying individual AI solutions, we are also wielding not just point solutions, but these general train sets. Do you see a future world, David, where let's say, I don't know how long, five, 10 years, whatever, we'll, we'll set something, set something out. I've been surprised as to the things that, you know, five years ago have already happened now versus the things that I thought were evident that did not happen. So I'm not going to make too many guesses, but we'll, we'll just throw a number five or 10, whatever. Do you see a world where in the banking space, many of the large orgs, the, the big banks have these trained kind of general models that are applied in all sorts of ways throughout the bank that it's not just kind of like software built here, software built there, but they've got one maybe in compliance, they've got one over here. Do you, do you see a space where these kind of yeah. mini GPT-3s become part of the lifeblood of an organization? Absolutely, absolutely. And and mm-hmm. I think a good comparison would be software. So we've been seeing that with software, right? So you started in, in that direction at the beginning when, when you mentioned, hey, software started as something very centralized or something that hey, I, I even outsourced to another company. Then you have software getting like this super specialized way of, of creating software for a particular process like creating from scratch. But now we're in the cloud era where there's something in the middle in there. You can reuse these massive services that that simplify, like imagine the simplification of creating these like mission critical applications now with the services that you have on any cloud. That changes the paradigm for development, right? That brought development to every company in a way that was very difficult to do before. So this is the same thing. This is adding an AI platform in the cloud that you can build on top of as an abstraction layer on top of this complexity of AI to really provide your uniqueness as as an organization on top. Got it. Okay, cool. So any closing thoughts around moving into this world of AI at scale? You know, one of many reasons to obviously become more AI fluent as an organization, because we're going to see a lot of changes and a lot of these sorts of paradigm shifts emerge. Any closing notes that you would want business leaders to grasp about what is coming with AI at scale? Yeah, I I think, so setting aside the technology for a second, this big transformation that you're going to see and the way that I visualize that is usually with an onion. So I I explained this story with an onion where a technology is at the core of it and your technical units are are at the core of it. But then outside of it, you have your business units. And then outside of that, you have the employees in your organization. So what we need to start thinking is how we're going to expand AI from where it is right now, which is usually in the technical, in the core of 
the onion in the technical organizations to really expand beyond that and getting into the business units. So your your business units are embracing and are part of the air transformation. But then ultimately, just like what we did with software to every employee. So how can we start thinking of every employee being part of this concept of uh, augmented intelligence with AI. And for that, the number one thing to do is working on the culture. So if there's one closing of all of this that I would do is that the only way that you can expand AI to become a central part of your organization is by transforming and nurturing a new culture in your organization that is embracing of AI. There is no way around it. If you want to be a Catalyst AI, you've got to educate the folks around you and your whole team. I, I certainly do not mind ending on that note, David. It is always a pleasure <laughs> to talk with you. Thank you so much for joining us again. Same here. Thank you. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. A big thank you to David, as always, for being able to join us. And thank you to you, our listener, for tuning in all the way through to the end of this episode. I also want to give a big thank you to everybody that's left us five-star reviews on iTunes. Sometimes when people don't leave a comment with their five-star review, we don't quite notice as much because generally speaking, we're looking at the feedback. But every now and again, we just get people who anonymously will, you know, give us a great rating on iTunes. And so for some of you who maybe didn't have much to say or just felt like dropping a review and not dropping a comment, I appreciate you guys as well. I realize I rarely give shout outs to folks who don't leave a full comment. If you're too shy, that's okay. If you do want to leave a comment, it would mean the universe to hear what you've liked most from the program and how you want to see the program evolve with a five-star review on iTunes if you've so enjoyed our show over the years. It certainly means the world to hear from our listeners. The guests that we have on and the topics that we discover and that we uncover here on the show are really based on feedback from you, our listener, and our growth over the course of the last year. I think this is our ninth or tenth month, over 100,000 downloads. That is due to you all. So thank you so much for your ongoing feedback. And I wanted to give a shout out to everybody who, in a shy way, has said thank you with their little review on iTunes. You guys deserve a little bit of love as well. So I appreciate you. I'm looking forward to more episodes moving forward into the week ahead. Thank you so much for tuning in again. I'll catch you in the next one here on the AI and Business Podcast. <laughs>